Good morning, Cam, and everyone else. Good morning. Uh, you're here with Joshua King and Dr. Cameron Surrey, and we are talking about Catholicism and all the things that Protestants think about as to why they won't become Catholic. <laughs> yep. And we are, this is discerning Catholicism. And I thought I'd talk today about uh, what I feel is the real reason for why I won't just become Catholic currently and what I think is really a deep reason for many Protestants. Yeah, I think I see this a lot when I'm discussing with Protestants uh, just about Catholic doctrines and just Catholic ideas. Uh, I get a lot of pushback immediately without reason, just, but what about this, what about that, what about this? Mm. And the questions are never-ending. And I think the questions are good questions, but I feel like perhaps the driver of the questions is maybe a fear of the discounting of the many good, loving, God-fearing people that have taught taught oneself when 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 growing up through various Protestant communities. So, is this your experience? This has been my experience, very much, um, both in talking to Protestants about different Catholic concepts. And just saying, oh, what you said is wrong, and this is what it actually is. And then that being a very frustrating conversation for them. Um, just me talking about it. <laughs> I'm not even, like, they call me, a, I'm defending them, and I'm like, I'm really just tr talking about it. <laughs> not, yeah, really. but do you also experience this oh, yeah. fear or whatever? Is yeah, that and, and that is me as well, yeah. Right. Um, for me, like, I... I've seen and experienced uh, many, many um, God-fearing, passionate people, followers of Christ who deeply want this relational realness hmm. and they don't like over-analytical, dry, um, disconnected philosophy. And to be honest, much of theology is that for them. Um, and I would say that most, most of the theology is, is like that or philosophy is like that for anyone who doesn't really connect in their own experience to the ideas being talked about yeah sure so and I don't think we should actually talk to people about ideas that are not connected to their, direct, their actual experience because you're just I mean unless they're specifically asking yeah, yeah. Unless, unless they're actually asking but usually if someone's really asking you about something or really interested in something it's because it does connect to their direct experience sure. so you can go off their go off them yeah, yeah. Um, so becoming yeah so so it's quite hard because so I've basically journeyed with many of the chaplains and just various people in the chaplaincy and the first thing I noticed when I walked in here was how just awesome it was to just talk about anything. So I'm, I was born in New Zealand, growing up here, but I was, I, my whole family's Australian and I just love to just dive into anything. Our culture and my family is very much just talk about anything, mm. anytime. And we're very, very close and we critique each other very quickly and <laughs> it can be untactful and that's definitely an attribute of our family is untactfulness. Right. Um, however, it's... Although my dad's very tactful when he's not when he's talking to others, so he's really good when he's engaging with people outside our family. And then when it comes into the family, he's just complete opposite. So, <laughs> but 
Yeah. So I guess when you when you really love people, then you don't feel like you've got to tiptoe around them so much. Yeah, yeah. And that's funny because like when I'm engaging with like super angry, you know, ad, um, people on the streets or whatever. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, Pedestrians. Protesters. No, they're they're protesters. Activists. Activists. That's the one. Oh my gosh, what word was I thinking of? Yeah, when I'm dealing with hardcore activists. Um, either against Christianity or against some idea or policy that Christians typically support. I am very like careful about what I say, and we become good friends talking about the very things we disagree about. Mm. But then when I'm talking to Christians, <laughs> whom I think are actually quite um, attuned and on the same side as me, I'll just bluntly say it how I feel right. and think, yeah. and they <laughs> find it really difficult. And um, <laughs> it's quite funny. I get more pushback from my Christian friends who, who are on the same side as me than I do from those who are on the complete opposite side of me. Mm, right. <laughs> Which is quite hilarious. Um, anyway, so, yeah, it's hard to... Uh, I really have been... What I, through this journey of hanging out with people here, I found... And by here you mean... I, the, the chaplaincy. Catholic, yeah, we were in the Catholic chaplaincy. chaplaincy. Sorry for those who haven't been following the previous podcasts. Mm. <laughs> we're always in the Catholic chaplaincy when we do these podcasts. Um, the people I engage with, I was just like, wow, this is awesome. These are like my people, you know. And learning more about Catholicism, I realized that as I read the Bible as a child, I just found, oh, I just read, I read scripture the Catholic way. Like, and, and, and this is what I alluded to in previous podcasts. I read scripture naturally, the sort of evangelical, the academic evangelical type way that's not reformed which is why when I heard William Lane Craig talking about his stuff I was like wow this is amazing like mm. some totally educated guy who's talking about and defending to a high degree and responding to opposition to these natural ways of reading scripture yeah and I found that awesome so it's interesting that journey you're coming along to now and so I, I've, I've just found as, as I've actually asked questions about all the Catholic doctrines that I didn't like I was like, I, I kept finding that it's actually not bad. It's actually not what I thought it was. It's actually really good. It's actually the tradition of, of it's not just the tradition, it's, it's actually what Christians have always thought. It's actually the way that I've always thought or read the Bible. This is, this is what I keep finding. How, so, but um, you need to explain that a bit more because first of all you're talking about maybe Catholic doctrines that you that you would not have held. Mm. And then you're saying that when you delve more into them, you realize that was already the way that you thought. Yeah, How so I mean, obviously, there's a variation of things in there. So I might have had things like I would look at uh, Saints and Mary, which is typically something that a lot of Protestants really struggle with mm. because to them it just appears as this like random religious thing because they don't see anywhere why they should hold to it. Especially Mary. I mean, the female yeah. of the species is more deadly than the male. So she's a scary uh, <laughs> creature. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> more deadly. Yes, many, no, hus there is. Ma many husbands feel this way. There's something, <laughs> there's something almost this feeling of like, ugh, ickiness, yuck, blah, about Marian doctrine for a lot of Protestants. Dude, I thought you were going to say women. I was like, you're getting into trouble no, here, man. No, in general, about Marian doctrine. I mean, I think it's connected yeah. with um, femininity maybe has a, a particular connection with the grounded 
humanity, you know? Um, that's a compliment to women. Women are often oh, more, okay. more grounded and more attuned to, to their bodies and all that kind of thing than men who can sometimes be a bit more um, cerebral, abstracted and um, unrealistic for that reason. And happy to just cut themselves to pieces and it doesn't matter. Yeah. That thing, yeah. But, um, so, but I know there's something in Marian doctrine that emphasises the flesh a lot more. That's really interesting because I would have definitely not thought that at all and possibly been opposed to you as a Protestant hearing what you're saying now. Oh. But um, I mean, because it, it almost feels like, I mean, I, don't, I know this is not what you're saying because I feel like I can hear you from the Catholic side. Yeah, I, I totally get it because the whole Marian doctrine is about uh, this sort of relatableness to our own nature in, in, a more, in a more relatable way than perhaps how we a lot often look at Jesus or God, um, even though we know that theologically Jesus was very human. Mm. And I know it's from a lot of Protestants, like who, from a lot of different teachers I've heard of in my life, the reflection upon Jesus as someone who's relatable and how that connects us, makes us deeply connected to God has been talked about a number of times. So a lot of some Protestants would would probably balk at that and just say, "Well, that's ridiculous." You know, I connect to Jesus very easily, etc. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, it almost sounded like you were saying that there's something about Protestantism that um, opposes Marian doctrine because we're basically a bunch of misogynists. <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> well, that's that's almost what it felt like. But. Um, yeah, no, I guess that's not what I meant. But mm. uh, maybe, maybe I wasn't quite accurate either because I guess there's the big suspicion of idolatry and the whole goddess worship and, and maybe that's, that's, that's huge, the yeah. thing that is a real turn-off. It's like, well, don't, don't, even, don't touch that at all. Don't go anywhere near it because it's... Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's also mixed in with the praying to dead people thing, mm. which, which every time you talk to a Protestant, they'll just be like, but that's scripture about necromancy. It's like... And then you're just like, I don't even know how. I mean, most most people, including the person saying it, doesn't even know what necromancy is. So it's like, how do you even respond to that when yeah. someone's like, it's very clear that you should never pray to dead people or anything because of that scripture. Um, but yeah, on the face of it, it does feel that way when you don't know much about it. Yeah, that's right. And I, I suppose um, then you've got to ask, well, is it really accurate to call them dead people? Like... If Christ says um, that a God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and He's not the God of the dead, He's the God of the living. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and that's and and that's when the um, the Sadducees are opposing the resurrection, and He's and He gets really mad at them because it's like this is the resurrection, this is a really important thing. Yeah. And um, and and that's uh, at least in one or two of the Gospels, that's His. Um, that's his big argument, that God reveals himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's not a God of the dead. So um, he's a God of the living. And it's also like what the Sadducees and the um, Pharisees, like when Paul's in the court getting, getting condemned, and then he just goes, oh, I know, these guys hate each other for this, so he just throws in the... I'm being accused for the resurrection of the dead, right, and, then yeah. the, and then immediately all the Pharisees... <laughs> Are like on his side. Yeah, right? yeah. And they're like, oh they're, yeah, maybe. They're maybe like, actually, spoke to him he's or. fine. <laughs> he's saying nothing wrong. You guys are wrong. And then they all erupt into this crazy fighting. Yeah. Um, which really goes to show that sort of 
live, the God of the living type thing and the resurrection and the significance of all that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I guess like for a Protestant though, when they hear that, they just feel like uh, you're making a you're ju- you're just using theological notions to explain away what the scripture clearly says, which is you shouldn't pray to people who have died and who are like who are, who are asleep, as the scripture would say. And I think on the face of it what happens with that scripture and the question is that it just blows open a whole heap of quite theological stuff that requires a lot of deductions from many scriptures to even come to a, like a strong resolve of or even clear yeah. resolve of. And so you're, you're putting up like this very simplistic and easy to understand face value scripture, one verse, against what is requires a lot of thinking to be done and so sure. it just doesn't seem to it, it feels it feels evasive and yeah elusive. And, I, and all i was challenging i wasn't really defending yeah. the catholic practice i was only challenging the the labeling of the dead um yeah 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 because i think that's one thing that needs to be challenged in order to get into a fruitful discussion about the practice but you're right. It's it's a much bigger thing than just pointing <laughs> yeah. to that scripture. But yeah. but the point is, I, I, I you know, um, I was in this conversation with somebody recently, and they're talking about you know praying to dead saints. I was like, oh, that's such a horrible way of speaking. Like, yeah, okay, they have died, and yeah, um, and and so on. But it's kind of missing the point of of, of what you're talking about because the only reason why you're praying. Um, or asking for their intercession is because you believe that actually they are in heaven with God and therefore sort of alive in a way that I'm not. Yeah. Even if they're still awaiting the resurrection of their bodies. Yeah. It's just, it's just so many of the doctrines, Catholic doctrines for a Protestant, as soon as you start raising them, I mean, for instance, you immediately go to the scriptures, basically. It's like, I don't see that in the scripture. Like, where are you getting this, like, random tradition of man from you know that's what mm. it, that's basically what it'll be um and yeah they don't have a lot of a number of the second canonical scriptures uh the protestants don't and i think that's where you get a few of the reinforcements for some of these many of these uh concepts or the, uh, you know but there's yeah that's um well here's a question and this is a question um which i think catholics have a reasonably clear answer to but i I don't know if Protestants do. Um, where do we get our doctrine from? Like, or do we get our doctrine from Scripture? Do we honestly read Scripture and then derive all of our doctrines from it? Because in, in the Catholic approach, um, we would say that all of our doctrine is at least implicit. You know, a lot of it's explicit and some of it is implicit in Scripture. But especially the implicit ones, it's not like we read the scriptures for centuries and then we're, ah, yeah, there's a doctrine buried here and we unearthed it. That's not how it works. Like, we, we already had the doctrine, basically, which was given from the apostles. Um, and I guess that determined how we read the scripture. What do you so, mean we've already had the doctrine given by the apostles? Wouldn't people just say that is the scripture? That is what the scripture is? Doctrine well, given by the apostles? Yeah, I mean, they're not separate things, necessarily. But there is there was an oral preaching that occurred. And mm. the writing down of the New Testament is something that, um, that followed. And I guess 
in the first century even, even when a lot of the New Testament had been written. I don't imagine that every community had access to every bit of New Testament that had been written. Like it was something that was mm. built up um, piece by piece. And, but they did have access to the gospel, to the full, mm. um, uh, yeah, the, the, to the, the doctrine, the teaching of the apostles, um, the truth of the gospel. They had access to that. So um, it's more that the scriptures then um, were put together, inspired by the Spirit, and the scriptures reflected accurately the teaching of the apostles. Mm. And then, and the, the scriptures are key because they are the unchanging thing, right? So there's this unchanging, um, crystallized, you might say, uh, representation of the gospel, mm. which we have in the scriptures. Mm. But it doesn't really make sense when it's separated from this more fluid oral tradition, this discourse. Mm. And so it arises out of the discourse or within the discourse. And then, um, the, but the discourse is the one is the thing that directs us to how to, how to read these scriptures. Mm. Um, and then, so then, if you decide you're going to eliminate large chunks of that discourse, and we're just going to take this book and we're going to base our church on the book, um, yeah, there's a lot of truth that you can you can you can get from the book but there, there's going to be confusions and mm. there's going to be a lot, a lot of requirement things for a lot of unpacking in context and culture and things yeah and you won't necessarily and, be able to orient yourself properly towards the scripture yeah it's quite interesting i th i mean i was going to say before that what i think happens when you start looking at any of these teachings or the diff or these catholic things that protestants typically go uh, about you find yourself almost immediately going to, but I don't see that in scripture and why I should like understand that. First mm. off, you've got like a contextual loss. Um, most people who are saying this stuff aren't theologians. And um, and, and they, they're kind of presenting these, these, these traditions of their own that come from Calvin, which is stuff like the scripture is good for all teaching, but then it's like scripture alone. Um, and there's kind of a lot of assumptions buried in there and you know what does alone mean and like even that is really unclear mm. and they use that that one passage in scripture about it's good for all teaching and rebuke yeah. but that doesn't mean alone like it's not clearly from scripture yeah. so it's and a then bit you like an implicit yeah, teaching like it's Im the, the teaching of bible alone is implicit in scripture they, they're saying yeah um, and it, you kind of you kind of find this weird Anyway, it usually goes back to the scriptures and, and there's all these kinds of notions buried under a lot of the words, a lot of the conversation, even mm. ex explicitly in what people are saying, but without understanding of what that means. And you kind of go back to the question of like, where did scripture come from and why do we have it? And I heard this interesting idea from Dom, Dominic, my, my friend Dominic, who also Cam knows, the other day, mm. um, who s was saying that where does scripture come from? Well, it's this compilation from the church, you know, theologians and seminarians and people who came together and said, well, what are all the books that, that encompass our faith and the writings and the things that are and aren't a part of what accurately depicts God's revelation to us? And so they collected that together and they're like, these are the books. And they made a decision recognizing what is of God and what isn't. 
from our experience and our tradition and our knowledge of our relationship with Jesus. Mm. And this is what the Bible is. Right. And, and he said, and that's what the Mass is. Because <laughs> he was like, well, what are all these things you do in the Mass? And, and he was actually defending the Mass and he was making this example because this discussion with um, this Pentecostal girl came up with respect to um, what all this religiousness and mass and with respect to well, that's not in the Bible. And so he was just saying, you know, this is what the Bible is. And the way that we've come to collect the Bible and have the Bible today is the same way that the church or the Catholic Church has developed the practices of the mass and what the mass is. It's mm. this natural response to things we know about God and you could call it tradition, but it is, it's a practice it's, it, and it's a teaching in and of itself mm. with respect to our relationship to God yeah. in the same way that the Bible... It's just interesting how he's basically making this point that the way that we have identified the Bible is the same way we've identified the Mass. And I just found that really interesting, this almost like unifying of Scripture and tradition. Mm in the church and I've never thought of it that way and I thought it was quite a good challenge it was very very um, it was a very effective uh, almost like cut straight to the heart yeah. of the way we're thinking about all of these things yeah. and I think it's the str a very powerful challenge to a lot of Protestants who just sort of take this this scripture as God's word and we should accept it by, by faith from their family and communities who've told them this and don't know anything about the history or where mm. it comes from. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think that's good because the, the liturgy, or the Mass, is um, a massive part of that tradition, that discourse that I guess I was talking about. Mm. Um, but I sort of didn't think of, um, of speaking about the Mass, but it's, it's true that the other way of looking at the Scripture is that, you know, say the letters of Paul or the Gospels or whatever, they were primarily read out in um, the, the gathered Christian community in the liturgy. Like that's where, that's the main time that they would have been read publicly. Mm. And so that's in a way where they are most at home. And um, I certainly feel that myself in that when I go to Mass and I hear the scriptures being read, they strike me in a way that they don't quite strike me when I just read them myself. Like I, I love reading the scriptures mm. myself, but the Mass often I'll, I, I, I've maybe read the scriptures during the week myself leading up to the Mass and then on Sunday I hear them and something in the, strikes me that hadn't struck me before and it's more powerful and it's more profound and it's because it's like this is where the scriptures ultimately belong and this is where Christ speaks through them perhaps most powerfully. Mm, and I do... And I I've been kind of attending a number of masses, and I've I've been I really enjoy the Catholic mass. And how I tell Protestants about this is, I would say that, uh, well, it's like ninety five percent just pure scripture because the liturgy is all built from scripture, and then it's just reading scripture, and then the the homilies are, or the sermons are just like fifteen minute, or usually in most ones I go to, oh, uh, that's long. <laughs> yeah, just little nice uh, simple reflections. Mm. Upon the significance of the scriptures we've read in our real in our day to day lives, yeah. and without all this like extra uh, you know unpacking or like um, yeah elaborations, and they just it's really uh, it's there's lots of quiet time for prayer and reflection and dwelling upon what Christ has done for us and 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 for all the Protestants out there super 
uh, super focused on this on this almost substitutionary atonement, which Protestants love. Um, and I think that it's it's really powerful. And I think when you're in that space of deep reflection of Christ and in prayer, and in that space you then listen to these scriptures. Mm. You, you're in the, the most right. You're in the most perfect space to be listening to the scriptures. You're in the most perfect space to be reflecting upon the scriptures. And so, yeah, God is speaking to you more powerfully or most powerfully, say through that through that space and experience. Well, that's at least how I would explain it to a Protestant. Anyway, I know there's more significance in the mass than just what I've said for Catholic, but um, yeah, it's it's really beautiful, mm. and and I think that. Yeah, my journey to Catholicism is being one of falling in love with all this stuff that is not bad, one off. First off is constantly finding that everything I look at is not actually bad, which is a massive challenge to what I, what I think Protestants think Catholicism is. Um, and then seeing that it's beautiful and then seeing that there's so much fruit in my life that comes from just the little parts that, I've, that I actually have I actually believe and agree with and participate in with my mm. Catholic friends, um, because I'm, you know, as as many Protestants would say, you know, we should look for what we agree on and we should like do that with one another as mm. part of our bringing each other closer to truth and to God yep. and evangelizing. It's 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 the relational evangelism. It's what most Protestants today are into, and this is what this is part of the whole conversation. This, most Protestants today, I think really are in this space, a similar space to where I'm coming from. Mm. They're not from this very strong, staunch, theological and philosophical reformed tradition. Yeah. Um, although a, a significant amount trust those who come from that tradition, those authorities. Um, and that is why they believe, because they trust them. And when they hear it, it sounds good, as the Proverbs say, he who speaks first seems right until someone else comes and examines him. So, you know, when you hear your Reformed brothers tell you something you've never thought about before, it's going to sound pretty amazing and awesome because they're not theologically illiterate. They do have a lot of knowledge and wisdom and stuff to give. Yeah. Um, anyway, so <laughs> it's a full wrap-up of, like, basically the journey. Mm. So, yeah, that is the point of what these podcasts are. I mean, it's it's kind of like looking, although it is about discerning Catholicism, it is discerning Catholicism from the entirety or... Not the entire, yeah, l l looking at it from the sort of holistic l picture of Protestantism, all the different variations and where the majority of people to kind of sit um, and thinking it through. And, and for me, there is this part of me that feels like if I just go straight to Catholicism because of my attraction to it and because I may be coming, maybe becoming more, con more convinced that Catholicism, I think I can trust it. I think that if there's anything I have a problem with, I will be able to pursue any question about it mm. to the nth degree, and all I will ever find is more and more satisfaction around it and a deepening of my faith. And no matter what it is that the Catholic tradition like, currently has, with respect to dogma <laughs> and with respect to the reasons why current doctrines are in place mm. that aren't particularly dogma, this has been the case my entire journey till now. And it's given me a lot of reason to trust and to have faith that it will continue to be like that. Um, but there is this feeling in me of difficulty and fear of just denouncing all of these people who are God-fearing, loving people as just false. Yeah. 
and being Catholic kind of feels like I'm doing that, and that's really hard. And I think that is really the emotional difficulty in most Protestants, why they're too scared to engage in a conversation about Catholic teaching, why they call me a quasi-Catholic and defender of Catholicism and all this stuff, when literally all I'm doing is trying to say, actually what you just said was wrong, and let's just talk about, like, that's not what Catholics think, and this is what they think. And I don't even have the answers most of the time. Most of the time it's like, I don't know the answer to that question. Mm. But just having the conversation is too difficult for them. And so mm. there's like this emotional reaction. And mm. So I want to, as we continue, it will be a lot of, there's this Protestant, there's this Reformed teaching, this traditional, the, the tradition of Protestants throughout history, what they've always taught, what the theologians think and teach and say is why Catholicism is wrong, that we will be engaging with and responding to yeah. and dialoguing between the Catholic and Protestant perspective and mm. from my perspective as this sort of middle nomad, like spiritual nomad, essentially, questioning what makes sense, like what appears to be more natural for me as a human being mm. to trust and believe in. Yeah. Um, and in that way, this is what the journey to Catholicism is and this, this is what discerning Catholicism really is, mm. I guess. So... Do you have any thoughts around that, discerning Catholicism and what the journey is? No, well, because I think that what you've just said is that's how you're approaching it. That's where you're coming from, and that's the direction that, you're, that you've sort of aligned yourself. So uh, I guess I don't really have anything to say. I'm, I'm happy to be part of that journey um, in as much as I can help it. Um, mm. so, and I enjoy that. I enjoy this sort of um, dialogue because uh, it helps to bring my own uh, faith alive. So, yeah. yeah. I guess we just continue. Yeah. So we'll call that a day. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of a bit of an out-of-the-ordinary podcast, this one, but um, we'll smash into it some more tomorrow. Great. So look forward to it. Thanks, Great. everybody. Bye.